Let me pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a God who speaks to us. You've made us in your image. You've made us with the capacity to glorify you. But we, because of sin, often misuse our tongues. Help us in the time we have now to understand what your word says about our speech, but more importantly, also how our speech can be transformed through union with Christ. Convict our hearts, but also give us the hope the gospel offers. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Ordinarily, if you stick out your tongue, that's considered rude. But there's one time when it's not considered rude. When is that? When you go to the doctor is the right answer, not when you mean it. Um, And I'm not sure why you stick out your tongue and say, "Uh, I assume the idea, I'm not a medical person, that something about your tongue being stuck out, they're able to tell what's going on, not just with your tongue, but with your body as a whole. Like, I don't know if they're like green spots on it or something, that means you have some plague or something. But uh, what the Bible says, and I'm going to focus on the book of Proverbs, we also see this in James, is that your tongue reflects your health spiritually. It reveals a lot about you. It's out of the heart that the mouth speaks. About one-sixth of the verses in Proverbs address our speech. There's a chapter, uh, I have some material on that in in a book as well. Uh, But looking more broadly, and some of you are familiar with Paul Tripp's War of Words, which I think is tremendously helpful because it goes to the point not just to think about speech in terms of behavior, but the heart, to realize God speaks. We think of the theology of words. In the beginning was the Word. And the words of the God. Jesus is called the Word. He's communication from God. He's revealed Himself to us in Scripture, in language. God has spoken, and the author of the Hebrews says at various times. Now He's spoken this final time in His Son. And when we speak, our speech is in God's image. But because of the fall, our speech is corrupted. Uh, The serpent deceived Eve with speech. She tempted her husband with speech. And now our speech is more in the serpent's image in that we lie, we murder, we slander. Adam and Eve, by the end of Genesis 3, have used speech harmfully against each other. And one thing I thought was really helpful from Paul Tribby says, every time you open your mouth, you're either speaking like God or you're speaking like the serpent. It's one or the other. And James says in chapter 3, Let many of you be teachers, brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body also. And he warns how the tongue can be like a fire. And of course, what we as believers seek is Christ-like speech, but that takes an internal transformation. Uh, The book of Proverbs tells us that words are very powerful. And I've got the verses in your notes. A lot of them are written out. I'm going to rattle through these pretty fast so you can get lunch. Uh, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. That's pretty incredible. What's the strongest part of your body? Well, the part of your body that has the most potential to do good or harm, at least in a physical sense, is your tongue. James says a little tiny spark uh, puts a whole forest... Uh, a blaze that uh, a little bit steers the horse. A ship is stir- stirred by the rudder. 
The tongue can be persuasive. The, health, the heart of the wise teaches his mouth and adds persuasiveness to his lips. But it also can destroy. By the mouth of the wicked, the city is torn down. Many of us have been torn down. Many of us can remember things that were said to us years ago by a flaming tongue, and we still have scars from that. The Bible also says words are limited. Proverbs 14.23 says, In all labor there is profit, but mere talk only leads to poverty. One challenge in marriage counseling is there's some men who are good at talking and bad at doing, but the wife doesn't figure that out until about two years into the marriage. And he can say all the right things. He can say all the right things in counseling. There's some people who are excellent counselees. They say everything you want them to say. They just don't do anything. So words alone are not enough. And words cannot change a heart. The proverb says, A slave will not be instructed by words alone. Though he understands, there will be no response. There needs to be a rod for the back of him who lacks understanding. Uh, The Bible also teaches that speech takes place not just with our words but with the rest of her body. Body language is acknowledged. The winking of the eye and different things the Proverbs talk about when counseling. Body language says a lot. I had one couple, and I used to, they, would, they would sit on a couch. I wouldn't have them lie down on a couch, but they'd sit on a couch with the room I was meeting in. And every week, when I would walk into the room, they'd be there already. And I knew how they were doing based upon their body language. And sometimes, when they were mad at each other, they were on opposite ends of the couch, almost with their backs to each other, glaring. And I didn't have to hear anything. They were speaking plenty. When I counsel a couple and I'm, I'm saying something, and one of them, you know, or one of them speaking and the other one's shaking their head and, you know, grunting or something. So you, you learn a lot. By the way, that couple, when I came in one week and she was sitting on his lap, I knew we were done with counseling. Uh, there was some positive speech going on there. And I was no longer important. Um, there are countless warnings about speech, but again, it's, it's from the heart that we speak. The mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart, Jesus says in Matthew 12 and also in Luke. Uh, your speech reflects for a believer the internal warfare that goes on between the flesh and the spirit. You read about in Galatians 5. Are you going to serve others and honor God, or are you going to devour other people? Jesus also says that every careless word that men speak, they shall render account for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you shall be justified, and by words you shall be condemned. So words are very important. Uh, So lots of warnings in Proverbs about how speech can be used to destroy many categories. Again, I'll go through these fairly quickly. Uh, But it's not just spoken speech now. Uh, A lot of harm is done on Facebook, Twitter, social media. Uh, I've seen people type an email and sometimes send it to many people simultaneously with words they would have never used if they were facing somebody. And there's something about the privacy of your email conversation that things come out. And boy, when you push that send button, I think they've even talked about, you know, giving you like a 30 second delay that you can try to unsend it would be a nice feature for some email. Um, you know, or un, you can kind of remove a post from Facebook, but not before thousands of people may have seen it. Um, so many categories, but all of these ultimately find their root in the evil one, who is a liar and a murderer. Uh, flattery, a man who flatters his neighbor is spreading a net for his feet. You know, flattery is telling people things they want to hear so you can get something out of them. 
A salesman can be good at that. Oh, that looks so good on you. Or, boy, this is the perfect car for you. What a discerning customer you are. Uh, servers, and I've never had a server say, you know, horrible choice, right? Oh, excellent choice, sir. Tip, tip, tip. Great decision. This You've chosen well. Um, buttering people up. And there's a warning. You may be ruined if you pay attention to flatterers. Lies. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Ephesians 4.25 says, don't lie to one another because we are members of one another. That's a very vivid picture to me. It's members like body parts. Can you imagine how difficult it would be if your eyes periodically lied to you and you didn't know when they were lying to you? So you're driving in traffic and your eyes say green light, but really it's red. But that's what it's like in the context of community and a family to have a child or a spouse who lies or in the church someone who is untruthful but because of our depravity lying is a great temptation uh, the proverb says a lying tongue hates those it crushes but lying is is selfish we lie to avoid the consequence of our own foolishness we lie to get things from other people but in the end it's destructive it in the context of court, a rascally witness makes a mockery of justice. Uh, I remember when I was on a jury one time, and I was so impressed that some of these people are really good liars. I don't know which ones it is, but people can really do this well. I've had, I've had counselees who are just incredibly gifted liars. For the person who has been lying, I'll often liken it. It's like a person who's accustomed to lying, when he becomes a truth teller, it's like learning a language. It'd be like if I said, for the rest of your life, you're not allowed to speak in English anymore, which you've been speaking all of your life. You have to speak in Mandarin. It, you're learning an entirely new language because just your nature is a liar, which you need. I'm not saying a literal gift of tongues, but you need a transformation spiritually so that you would speak the truth. Uh, gossip and slander. And because of our depravity, we like gossip. We don't want to admit it, but the proverb says the words of a whisperer are dainty morsels that go down into the innermost body parts that, uh, you know, you see in the news. I want to watch the news. They've got all this gossip stuff about celebrities on there that is supposed to tantalize you. We, we like to hear uh, the muck going on, not only in the world with celebrities, but even among uh, people in church. Slander. Along with that is uh, a perverse man spreads strife and a slanderer separates intimate friends, speaking against people. Uh, He who who he'll go about as a slanderer reveals secrets. He who is trustworthy conceals a matter. Uh, Sometimes people will say something that's true. It's just that you have no business hearing it. But you, you like to be in the know. You like to be the one that knows something everybody else doesn't know and you can show yourself as a discerning person who has all this extra information and to ask the question, do I have the right to tell this to this? Do they have the right to know this? I like Proverbs, I mean, Romans fourteen twenty three says, whatever is not of faith is sin. And if in your conscience you're saying, should I say this or not? Well, if I can't say it with confidence that it pleases God, keep my mouth shut. Because once it's out, you can't undo it. Angry speech. Anger resides in the bosom of fools, Ecclesiastes says. Do not be eager in your own heart to be angry. And anger stems from our pride, our our selfishness. 
Uh, we've already quoted James chapter 4, that we want something, we don't get it, and, and we judge people with our words. A hot-tempered man abounds in transgression. And again, it's something about our, our sinfulness, that when somebody wrongs us, that we somehow think it'll feel better if we can vent on them. And you watch like talk TV or something, or you know Oprah or one of these shows where you know, my father mistreated me, and so I'm going to let him know exactly how I feel about him on national TV, and that'll somehow heal everything. Well, no, it just creates more carnage. But that's, and that's the warning. Again, it's the anger in the bosom of the fool. It's, it's the heart, and then what comes out of the mouth is just what was in the heart. The, the very words for anger in the Bible also talk about physical things, of, of heat, of flared nostrils, of you know, physical manifestations, but often it results in physical acts. Uh, righteous anger is rare. I've, I've got in your notes kind of criteria from Robert Jones in his book on anger. Righteous anger is when a real sin has taken place, but my concern is for the glory of God, not for my own agenda. It's, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned that God is not getting his way scripturally, not just that I'm not getting my way. And then it's righteously expressed. Venting is not righteous expression of anger. It's Gentle correction, perhaps, uh, would, would be a righteous way to deal with it. Uh, quarreling, strife, arguing. A fool's lips bring strife, and his mouth calls for blows. Uh, through presumption, there comes nothing but strife. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all transgressions. Uh, there are relationships that are just constant quarreling. And as I said earlier, there, there are people, just seem by nature, they are quarrelsome. We want to be people who are not contentious, like charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to stir strife. And the implication of that is don't be the person who's adding the charcoal and, and adding the wood to the fire, just to refuse the quarrel. He who loves transgression loves strife. And then many more forms. There's filthy speech. He who is perverted in his language falls into evil. Paul warns in Ephesians 5 about uh, wicked words that can come out, cursing, uh, boasting. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day will bring forth. Let another praise you, not your own mouth. Uh, nagging. It's better to live on a corner of a roof than with a quarrelsome wife, the proverb says. Grumbling, which brought about the judgment of God. Seductive speech, Proverbs 7. And then just untimely speech, like one who takes off a garment on a cold day or vinegar on soda is he who sings songs to a troubled heart, uh, to be sensitive to others and realize there's, there's a time for that which is appropriate. Uh, for myself, as one who likes to sleep in, there's a proverb about, you know, blessing your neighbor with a loud voice early in the morning is regarded as a curse to you. Uh, so even something that in other circumstances might be right, we have to be discerning. And then hasty words. Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. And just talking too much. And I've got to admit, this one scares me a bit because I'm speaking tens of thousands of words these next, the last few days plus the next couple of days. It's been said an average person speaks about 16,000 words a day. That would be, actually, here's a little mini book I wrote. This would be one and, a half, one and a half of these mini books is how much. Now, some of you speak a lot more than that. You might have a thicker volume. Some are people of fewer words. But the proverb says, where there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. He who restrains his lips is wise. 
the Proverbs warn us to stay away from those whose speech is ungodly. An evildoer listens to wicked lips. A liar pays attention to a destructive tongue. Uh, What can we do? Well, one would be if someone is slandering or gossiping, what should you do? Please stop. I don't want to hear this. I have to do this sometimes as a counselor where, you know, I'm listening to one spouse, the other spouse isn't there, and basically slander or verbal murder, maybe what the other person there is taking place in my presence, I'm responsible for what I listen to. And if it is unprofitable or someone's describing something salacious, say, I'm sorry, please, you need to stop. I cannot hear this. It would not be right. And then... We're, we're told don't hang out with people who are foolish with their words. Do not associate with a man given to anger or go with a hot-tempered man. Drive out the scoffer and contention will go out. Even strife and dishonor will cease. Uh, this is a factor in churches. I mean, churches often discipline for sexual immorality. They will sometimes discipline for theft. Gossip, slander uh, are doing probably a lot more harm collectively in churches than sexual immorality. And it's a real challenge to deal with that as a sin, but the destruction can be great. The scripture says that God judges those who misuse their tongues, uh, both with immediate and future consequences. The perverted tongue will be cut out. A fool's lips bring strife, and his mouth calls for blow. A fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are the snare of his soul. A false witness will not go unpunished. A man of great anger will bear the penalty. So, And this is a lot of what Proverbs is about, of course, is that wisdom produces a rich, full, joyous, peaceful life, and folly, including folly with the tongue, brings major destruction. If you're single, a very important way to choose who you're going to marry is to see, is this a person who is wise of speech? If they lack self-control with their speech, if their speech is angry and foolish, run away fast, you're going to have a hard life. So, this is terrible. Now, the, the a problem is you listen to all of this, and my problem as I'm saying it, is that we all fall short. And James actually addresses this in chapter 3. And I hope, just from the scripture I've read, there's some measure of conviction here. Every one of those categories, to some extent, I've struggled with, not just before I was a Christian, but even now. I want people to think more of me than is actually accurate by what I say. I'm tempted to minimize what's wrong. I'm I'm tempted to be intrigued if somebody has some juicy information. And I'm tempted to say things that hurt others or to be insensitive. And James is describing in chapter 3 how the tongue is so uncontrollable that we we can control horses, we can get ships to, you know, man has subdued the earth in so many ways. You can go to the circus and see the elephants under the control of this little woman, and she can make them do stuff for a horse with a rider. But he says, there's one thing we haven't tamed, and that is the tongue. In verse 7, for every species of birds and beasts and reptiles, creatures of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by the human race, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. And probably you've had a personal experience that. If you ever go, just, I can't believe I just said that. It's happened to me this week. I just can't believe I said that. God help me. How how can I change? And, And the answer is not merely 
try to become a more moral and good person by your own effort. Uh, The whole point in James is that he's lamenting the fact that we don't have the power to do this. But there's an interesting passage I'm going to have you turn to for just a moment. And that's in in Mark chapter 5. In Mark chapter 5, it's a passage probably most of you know fairly well. It's talking about the Gerardine demoniac, this guy who was dwelling in the tombs, not wearing clothes. In verse 4, it says, Because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken into pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Guess what that word is? It's a fairly rare word, but it's the same word that James uses back in chapter, later in chapter 3 of no one has been able to subdue or tame the tongue. So you have an untamable man. And the people in that community have done everything they can, right? They've put iron shackles on the guy and he breaks them. And that is a visible picture of what we are apart from the gospel, isn't it? We cannot, through self-control, tame our tongues. You cannot, with your children, completely tame their tongues. We need outside information, intervention. But what happens, of course, as you know, is this man... Uh, has the demons cast out, and at the end in verse 15, Jesus observed the man who had been demon-possessed sitting down, clothed and in his right mind, the very man who had the legion of demons, and it said the people in that region became frightened, but Jesus can tame what nobody else can tame. I can't tame my tongue, you can't tame your tongue, you can't tame your spouse's tongue, your kid's tongue's. Jesus can do what nobody else can do. And so the answer to this on the first level is the only way to tame the tongue is through the gospel. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Until you have the Spirit, you're enslaved to the flesh, and you cannot do those things that please God. You can read the book of Proverbs and say, you know, that sounds great. And then five minutes later, you failed in all ways. But when you come to Jesus Christ and you admit yourself to be no better than the Gerardine, demoniac. You admit yourself to be the slave to sin. He is the one who sets you free. He is the one, whoever's in Christ, is a new creation. Old things have passed away. New things have come. We've died to sin. We've been made alive to God in Christ, Romans 6.11. And so it's through regeneration that the tongue is tamed. And this, we've talked about this in terms of principles of biblical counseling. If someone is talking like a fool, Teaching him the principles, don't talk like this anymore, and I'm going to conclude with the time I have, yes, talk like this. They can say that all sounds like a great idea. I know I ought to stop lying. I know I ought to stop having outbursts of anger. I know I ought to stop gossiping. But they have no more power to do that than a fish has power to fly because they have the nature of a fish or whatever. And they need a new nature. They need wings, They need the Spirit of God. And it's through coming to Christ and admitting it's not just my tongue, it's my heart. It's out of my heart the mouth speaks. My heart is wicked. Oh God, in your mercy, save me through Jesus Christ who came and through his death and resurrection has brought the death of my old self, a raised new self, and through him I'm forgiven, but it's through him I can be transformed and become capable for the first time in my life of actually living out the wisdom in Proverbs that even an unbeliever may recognize this is really good stuff, but he can't do it because the Spirit indwells me and gives me love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. And so it's Jesus who tames the tongue by giving us this new nature. And to just take these as moral principles would be like you've got this dead tree 
and you're trying to pay, you know, glue on or staple on plastic fruit, it's not a living thing. The fruit's not real. But when God gives you life and gives you a new nature, you're really producing the fruit. And then as we move ahead, you become capable of turning away from your old way of speech and speaking in a way where now your speech, instead of being devilish speech, which is what I've been describing, the gospel not only enables you to put that off, but in union with Christ, you can be like Jesus with excellence of speech. Uh, I already talked about affirmation, of building people up by affirming God's work in them, to refresh them. Uh, the tongue of the wise brings healing. So I won't, I won't go over that again, largely also because of time, uh, but... That's a crucial area of, of speaking with excellence. Uh, just restraining yourself. The one who guards his mouth preserves life. When you find yourself, you feel something. And the world says, well, if you feel it, you say it. And, and the scripture says, let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth except what is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. And so you've got a filter now. What's that verse? Ephesians 4.29, Right? So you have this ability. You think before you speak. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. Uh, you don't jump to conclusions. You listen. The first to plead his case sounds just till another comes along and examines him. You restrain your lips. My wife's favorite proverb is, even a fool when he keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is counted prudent. And so in the room, and again, for me as a person who talks a lot for a living, and I'm in a social situation, my wife helps me, uh, corrects me sometimes, that exercise the discipline of self-control, let other people talk. These poor people have been listening to you for hours. Let them talk for a while, and restrain your lips. Be humble, that they have other things to say as well. Uh, It gives you control of your anger. A fool loses his temper, but a wise man holds it back. Jesus says you, you, change, you have to change the nature of the tree in order to change the nature of the fruit. And when you have a new nature, now you can produce the fruit of patience when your kids wrong you and, and they do evil. You're not ruled by your passion. You're like our God who is slow to anger with you. He was slow to anger, has great understanding. He was slow to anger, is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit better than he who captures a city. You have grace as one who has received grace and mercy from God. Uh, Having experienced that, like Ephesians 4, 31, 32, all bitterness and wrath and slander and anger can be put away from you along with malice. You're able to be kind and compassionate, forgiving as God in Christ has forgiven you, to walk in love as Christ has loved you. You can walk away from an argument, abandon the quarrel before it breaks out, keeping away from strife. You can have the wisdom stay out of the quarrels of others, like one who takes a dog by the ears as he who passes by and meddles with strife not belonging to him. I use that verse a fair amount in counseling. Some people get all upset about something going on over here. It's not in your jurisdiction sometimes. Uh, Let somebody else deal with that unless it's your job. It enables you not to gossip. He who is trustworthy conceals the matter. He who covers a transgression seeks love. It enables you to speak positively with integrity. Truthful lips will be established forever. A truthful witness saves lives. 
the new nature you have in Christ enables you to keep your word. Another important verse I use a lot is Psalm 15, verse 4, where it says, The righteous man swears to his own hurt and does not go back. When you make a promise, when you make a commitment as a believer, you know it's God's will for you to keep that if able. I mean, every commitment we make has to be if the Lord wills, because I may be dead or sick or something. But it means that if you, know, if you agreed to take your kid to this event, and then somebody offers you a ticket to go watch the Masters that weekend, uh, you keep the commitment you've made, or you can perhaps ask to be changed. But you, you keep your word at cost. And you do that because you trust God that he will honor that. No longer are you in charge of your universe. You genuinely believe in honoring God. There is victory, even if in the short term there's, there's, there's loss. You build up with others. Uh, oil and perfume make a, the heart glad, so a man's counsel is sweet to his friend. I think of if you've read it or studied Pilgrim's Progress and how Christian and faithful talk to each other and they build each other up. And so instead of being a gossip and tearing others down and expressing your anger, now in your interactions there's, there's genuine Christian fellowship. And uh, it says the fruit of the righteous is a, a tree of life. He was wise when souls... And there can be an appropriate rebuke, but it's not a rebuke of venting your anger, but it's a rebuke of love. We're going to talk about that in the last session today. A rebuke goes deeper into one who has understanding than a hundred blows into a fool, uh, encouraging each other. Uh, Anxiety in the heart of a man weighs it down, but a good word makes it glad. The tongue of the wise brings healing. Sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. Uh, Sometimes... You have to speak. Better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. Saying, even saying hard things. The Spirit of God in you enables you sometimes, when you would like to just, just keep the peace, outward peace, you have to say something because you love this person. That's what Paul had to do in Galatians. It talks about in Galatians too. When Peter you know, wouldn't eat with the Gentiles, Paul couldn't stay silent, even though it seemed to outwardly threaten the peace. On the other hand, Eli did not take action against his sons, trying, you know, honoring them above God. But the spirit in you and trusting in God means now in my speech, what I care is not what people think of me. What I care is what would please God. And as I speak for him, I trust him. And people, and even their bad opinion of me, it cannot ruin me. Uh, it's the manner, not just the content. A gentle answer turns away wrath. A ruler can be persuaded by forbearance. A a soft tongue breaks a bone. My wife is about the best I've ever known at rebuking me. (laughs) She has a soft tongue, and it's my heart sometimes. Uh, Like apples of gold and settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. It's not just how you say it, but it can be when you say it. Uh, We had a situation many years ago where there was a, a man with a young family a very demanding job, and he had a project he was on. He was working seven days a week, long hours, and his wife knew this couldn't go on. But what she did, and, and the husband told me about it, he said what she did is she waited till he met his deadline. And after she, he met the deadline, got a little rest, she sat him down and said, this can't keep on happening. And you know, there needs to be some priority changes here. You've neglected me. You've neglected the kids. But my, my, my friend was almost in tears describing it because he said, if she would have done this in the middle of the project, I think I would have just given up. It would have been so overwhelming. But she waited patiently. 
suffered through this and waited for just the right time when I could do something about it instead of hammering me with it just because it annoyed her. So like apples of gold and settings of silver. Uh, Picking the time. Humble, gracious speech. Redemptive speech. 2 Corinthians 5 says we're ambassadors of reconciliation. And then listening. uh, Not just talking, but... Proverbs 20, verse 5, a plan in the heart of a man is like a deep water. A man of understanding draws it out. Just as God punishes evil speech, he rewards excellent speech. The tongue of the righteous is as choice silver. Pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Do you have people like that in your life, I hope? Maybe the people you're going to lunch with today. It's like, uh, you know, the better than the hamburger is the, the verbal meal because when I'm around this person, it's like a honeycomb. It's, it's sweet, it's refreshing, it's strengthening, it's enjoyable. That's the kind of friends we want to be to each other. The tongue of the wise brings healing. The lips of the righteous feed many. A soothing tongue is a tree of life. So God blesses those who speak well. So, in summary... Our speech is a crucial issue in our lives. Um, Our speech reflects the condition of our hearts. The, The answer to foolish speech is not merely to go on a word diet by your own will and try to discipline yourself by the flesh because we can't do it. If anything, our failure in this area should be an evangelistic tool for unbelievers. You know, how the law is our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we be justified by faith. And when you see this, you say, I can't do it. I need a Savior to forgive me and to transform me. But even as believers, our failures send us back again and again to Christ, seeking forgiveness, being thankful for the grace we are shown, but then asking Him, Lord, help me. Help me to speak wisely in Your image. And then, as Jesus is the one who can tame the tongue, he's also the one who exemplifies perfect speech. It was said of him, never did a man speak the way this man speaks. And everything we read about sinful speech, he never once sinned with his tongue. He never lied. He never flattered. When people provoked him, he gave gentle answers. When he was reviled... Peter says, he did not revile in return. He entrusted himself to him who judges righteously. He was silent before his accusers. And then his words are life. His words are truth and life and and power for us. And Jesus speaks to us. He says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says to us that where you have failed... I have perfectly kept God's law for you. Where you have failed, I have died that you might be forgiven. But also where you have failed, I want to change you. I want to begin a good work in you as you believe, and I want to continue that work as you're sanctified, including in your speech, that the Proverbs and James and other places, they can inform you how you show your love for Christ and how he works in you is one who was like the Gerardine. And most of us probably can look back before you were a believer and say, I was like that Gerardine guy. I had no control over my tongue. I I was just constantly saying foolish things. Thanks be to God that what I could not tame, Jesus has come, and at great cost, he has died 
to set me free. Now I'm clothed in my right mind spiritually. And by his mercy, I can follow him, including imitating his speech. The natural man speaks constantly for the devil. He's incapable of speaking for God. But when God saves you, he puts this new capacity in you where your speech can be used to honor him and to be like that of Christ to his glory. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we confess we have all sinned with our tongue and most of us could probably without much effort examine ourselves and remember times today when we have spoken foolishly, selfishly, with pride, Uh, withholding what others have a right to know, saying what others didn't have a right to know. We thank you for the gospel that where we cannot keep your law, Christ did for us, and he has paid the penalty that we deserve under the law that we might be forgiven. Lord, if there are any here who have been trying to live a moral life in their own power, help them to see even from your standard regarding the tongue that we cannot be justified by the works, our works, Our law works. We are not by nature wise. We are not by nature moral or virtuous. We cannot control ourselves. Thanks be, though, that you have sent your Son, that through him he can set us free, forgive us of our sin, and make us new creatures in Christ, and then help us, for we are responsible to exert effort in hope that You will give us strength and victory to speak on your behalf in all of our relationships. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.